I am really happy to once again introduce tonight's moderator, Evan Kleiman. <laughs> Evan Kleiman is the owner and executive chef of one of LA's favorite restaurants, Angelique Cafe. She is the best-selling author of numerous cookbooks, including Pasta Fresca and Cucina del Mare. Kleiman is also host of the hit KCRW program, Good Food. Please give a warm welcome to Ms. Evan Kleiman. Welcome to this marvelous place. We couldn't have picked a more beautiful late afternoon and evening, could we? So wonderful. And I, I want to thank everyone who made this evening possible, the wonderful folks at Zocalo, of course, the incredible people here at the Getty, and my own little peeps, the media sponsors, KCRW. This subject, food and photography, is one that I think is obsessing many people these days, probably many more than the people who took some of the original photographs that we're going to look at tonight could ever have imagined. In the 19th century, which we'll see some of these images, some of the first artfully photographed images were food that were carefully arranged in still lifes, much like Dutch masters' paintings. When I was sort of growing up in the food business in the 80s, it was a tantalizing ripe strawberry with that perfect bead of water just gently hanging off. But today, you know, food photography is exploding. I don't know how many of you saw the article in the New York Times a couple days ago. Everyone seems to be documenting what they eat. It can be as simple as a very direct, sort of humble image of a plated dish that's thrown up on Flickr, or something much more artful. It can also be a very high art example of what some might call food porn, which we might talk a little bit about <laughs> what that is, or a beautifully printed image that might be hard to look at, but makes us really think about who we are, we beings who are at the top of the food chain. It's really interesting to me, when it comes to food, it seems like we can't just shut up and eat. We... <laughs> We have to memorialize it. We have to ponder it. Um, and in the end, these images just end up revealing so much of us who we are. We eaters, which is to say humans. All humans are eaters. And I could not be more happy to have these lovely women on the panel with me. They each have their own very distinct view of food photography. Dara Goldstein is the founding editor of Gastronomica, the Journal of Food and Culture. I don't know if you um, get the journal, but if you don't and you're here tonight, you should. Um, she describes the journal as uh, feeding both sensual and intellectual appetites. For each issue, she chooses images that accompany extremely diverse articles that can range from the poetic to the very direct recipe-based to political. There is also on the side... <laughs> a professor of Russian at Williams College and the author of several cookbooks that I really love, I have to say. Maite Gomez-Rejon came to me as Art Bites. She does this really interesting thing where she combines a deep love of arts education and culinary adventure. She, she guides folks through talks on art history, geography, human history, using food as, as the vehicle. And soon she's going to have a blog in the Huffington Post called Cooking Art History. 
Charlie Grosso is a contemporary right now photographer of food images and art photographer. Um, she tends to find mystery and truth in images of food that some might find brutal. And I really wanted to have her here on the panel because I thought she would be a really great addition in talking about some of the more technical aspects of current food photography. Before we get into the conversation, I don't know how many of you have had the chance to walk through the gallery yet. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of just take a look at some of the images that are here at, at the Getty. Some things that all of us referred to, to have some food for thought. So let's just go through a couple of them. Um, we start out, as you can see, in 1853. And I'll just let you see. If you didn't get a chance to walk through the gallery yet, we really hope you do at the end of the evening. It's really a treat to be able to see such historical works and some supreme <laughs> contemporary works um, live in person. This must look very familiar. This picture, I can't wait to talk about this picture. And then these are some of Charlie's works. I just wanted to include them so you would understand why I wanted her involved in the conversation. She has a series that she's been doing called Walk the Dog, W-O-K, in, um, in which she's photographing markets um, throughout the world. So I'm just going to toggle back. I think I'm going to ask Dara to start us off. And I think you wanted to start off talking about the Fenton. So let me get that image for you. Maybe let's start by just talking about the time that Fenton was working. There we go. Here we are. So I just wanted to say a few words about this one because it's one of the earliest food photographs. And it was done in 1860 by Roger Fenton, who is a British photographer much better known for his photographs of war, of the Crimean War. And here he is turned to the still life in the style of uh, Dutch paintings of the 17th century. And I really love his work. One of the things that's so wonderful about it, and I hope that it is conveyed um, on this PowerPoint slide, but if you look here, uh, you really feel the texture of that melon. You see all of its warts and bumps. The peach here is really fuzzy. The plums over here are, uh, actually, that was still peach, sorry, <laughs> there's the pun. Um, they're so smooth, and so you get a sense of the texture. He was very conscious of this close-up to try and convey the lusciousness of the fruits. He's showing some of the most popular and favorite English garden fruits. So you have peaches and plums, and of course the red currants here in the front. But you also see the pineapple and the grapes, which are very luxurious for 1860. They're very much hothouse fruits. The fact that all of these fruits are portrayed is very much in the vanitas style of the Dutch still lifes, because fruit, of course, is nothing but ephemeral. 
I mean, I should say that in Williamstown, Massachusetts, where I live, fruit is not ephemeral. It stays hard forever. <laughs> and it, uh, it never actually seems to ripen, but in the normal course of things, fruit decays. And so it talks a lot about the transitoriness of life, the ephemerality. And in the Dutch still lifes, you often have beakers or overturned tankards. And here you can see a partially full decanter that also reminds us of how fleeting life and its pleasures are. Um, I just want to say one other thing about this. It really uh, gives you a sense of abundance and cornucopia. If you look at the tassels on the cloth here, they extend beyond the frame of the picture. It's as though there's so much abundance that it can't be contained within the frame of the picture. And it's just... Uh, burgeoning, and uh, it makes you feel the lushness of the moment. It's very much composed, self-consciously composed, as these early photographs were. Do you want to go on to, to the West End? Do you want me to, and then I'll shut up for a while? No, no, no. <laughs> no, actually, let's, let's have a little bit of conversation okay. about this. Um, one of the things which fascinates me about this image, and actually the image before, is, is how different they are. Um, Charlie, maybe as a photographer, you could talk about the difference between the equipment you use and the equipment that was used to take <laughs> these photographs. I, I can't even begin to guess. I imagine some sort of 8x10 glass negative plates. Huge. Yeah. Something huge. Long um, exposures. Slow. Yeah. Slow. Yeah. I mean, at that time, you could only take pictures of things that weren't moving. Yeah. So the images often are, appear to be static. The thing that really struck me about this still life, the Regnault, was how unstatic it seems for the time, for as early as it is. I mean, you could actually walk up to it and you could grab something off that table. Maite, give us a little bit of an idea of historical perspective. Um, who were the people that were looking at these images, and who were the people who were making them? Well, it was the photographers. Actually, um, Fenton specifically was one of the early staff photographers at the British Museum of Art. So he was very familiar with these types of paintings, with Dutch paintings, and was very concerned with, or, or he, it was very important for him to raise photography to this level of fine art. Um, so he was very well versed with these Dutch paintings and was trying to emulate them. And these are 200 years after these paintings were made. And even when we look at late Dutch paintings, we see a lot of pineapples. It's post, you know, the Americas have been discovered. These pineapples are actually going back to Europe. And, um, and then we start seeing them in these, in these early um, in these early photographs. And these were met, most of these photographers. Some of them were painters. They were very well educated. They were very well versed in, in the arts and they were making these photographs essentially to raise a level of photography and it was for the same people that may, you know, hopefully would buy a photograph, the same person that might buy a work of art to have in their home. So photography at this level was still very much an elite experience both from the point of view of the the, the artist and the consumer. I think it was very experimental, but hopefully to get to the elite. Interesting. Now this, this one I, I love. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about this picture, except to say that it's everything you need to know about going hunting. <laughs> in, in this one picture, you have the boar, you have the, the, the horn, 
that the clarion call. You have the rifle. You can't forget the wildfowl the up bird. there too. So you can go do two types of hunting in one fell <laughs> swoop. Right there. Right. Yeah, it sort of says everything you need to know about this experience. It, it, I'd be interested to know, do you feel a kinship with this type of photograph, Charlie? <laughs> Not specifically because I, for me, it's so staged. It's, the conversation's closed. It's done. It's not. It's not. There's a period on it. The photographer's put a period on it. This, the hunt is done. This is the trophy, and we're going to document the trophy. It's a very elitist thing, mm -hmm. which is great, which is also part of, you know, as what Mita says, it's, it's, a, it's of the period. It's of the experiment. It's of the expense of photography, especially being such a new medium. What I love about this photograph is that when we look at Dutch paintings of hunting trophies, we look at the birds and we look at the feathers and the fur of the animal and we admire the skill of the artist. This actually looks like fur and this looks like a feather. And here they just look like dead animals. <laughs> you know, and I, I find that just really interesting. Do you, do you think the people watching it, all, uh, looking, looking at it, consuming the art, looked at it in the same way? I don't think so, because at the time it was what um, Dara was saying about the, the bumps on the melon and the skin of the peach. I think it was, they were seeing it in that similar way, that, it, that a machine could actually do that, that, that a machine could, be so, could look so handmade. I think they might have marveled more at that technique than at us today that are so used to seeing photographs all our lives. Um, that at that point they would have seen it in a very different way. But that brings something else up that I think we should talk about a little bit later, not when we're still back in the 1860s. <laughs> but the whole idea of veracity and the photograph as a record of reality, capturing what is. And of course today, with digital manipulation and Photoshop, we no longer believe necessarily believe photographs. And I think that brings up a very interesting question about uh, what photography is supposed to be. Well, photo photography is definitely moving, and, and we'll talk a lot about, about that. The thing I love about this particular piece is that now we're out on the street. It's, it's, we've, we've moved out of the studio. It's not staged. Um, would you like to speak to this a little this bit? This one, I love this photograph. Yeah, this I is one you. of my favorites. I have a lot of favorite photographs in the show, but this is one of my favorites. And this is a 1912. That photographer was capturing moments of Paris. Paris is becoming an industrialized, you know, a huge metropolis. And these types of places were slowly disappearing. And he was capturing these places that were disappearing in, in, in Paris. And this is the only photograph in the show that actually made me want to eat or made me want to go out to the farmer's market, which I found um, interesting, because even oh, though it's a food show, nothing else really made me want to go oh, out and You didn't want to go into Eggleston's freezer? Artificial vanilla ice cream, that's the one that made me want to really? eat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting one, because most people don't think of Walker Evans, who so documented human distress, um, documenting food, but... But I love this because I, I look at this and I see my ancestors. I see my grandfather. But isn't part of, isn't part of the abundance or scarcity of food or lack thereof or accessibility of or lack thereof part of 
I guess, the bigger picture for Evan, even though he's not thought of as a food photographer. But then I don't look at this and I don't think of it as food photography necessarily. I think of it as, as an interpretation of a social dynamic, of an economic dynamic. Interesting. Or just a document of a particular moment. Absolutely. Right. Of something very real, very something human, common. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that in his photographs, if you see the gaunt people, it's implicitly about lack of food, even if food isn't present in exactly. it. So mm -hmm. this yeah. is... It, it's, it's the other like the flip, flip of the coin of it, of it yeah. for him. So Here you stand go. Up again. Stand up again. I love this <laughs> photograph. I asked to be able to talk about it. <laughs> I had um, known Edward Weston's bell peppers. I'm sure you're familiar with those. They're like landscapes unto themselves. And also the ones that he did, he halved an artichoke and he halved a kale. And it, it's almost a violation of the uh, boundaries of the vegetable where he does these cross sections and you get to go inside a vegetable where you usually don't go and, unless you're, of course, a chef and you're regularly cutting them open. But this is uh, very much um, of a different ilk, I think, than those... Um, portraits of the individual vegetables. And what I love about this is that it is very much composed, but it's not staged like Fenton's is. And with this, I get a sense of the photographer having these bananas, having this basket. He put the bananas in the basket. Obviously, he arranged them because when you have a bunch of bananas, they're not intertwined like that. But it captures this moment of artistic perception of serendipity. And it's like, wow, look at all of these spirals just going round and round and the interweaving of the reeds of the basket and also of the bananas. And what I really love where in uh, Fenton's photograph you have a sense of going beyond the picture frame, here it takes you right into the center. It's like a spiraling vortex and you go into the heart of it trying to follow the light. The thing that amazes me, one of the things that amazes me about Weston is that he takes a fruit like a banana, granted it's more commonplace today than it was in uh, 1930, but it, it's still, you know, a pretty ordinary fruit. And yet he invests it with this sense of mystery, this awe, this wonder, what it is, uh, essential banananess and yet it is something so much more than, uh, you know, when you enter into it. See, I don't even like bananas. It's really weird. I, I won't tell you how old I am. I have never in my life eaten a whole banana, just peeled and eaten it. It's that so makes strange. me very sad. <laughs> but I love these bananas. <laughs> it's so interesting that you talk about the essential banananess because when I think about Weston and I and I think about how he works, I think of his his paintings of nudes, which are abstracted to look like forms, and how these fruits could also be nudes or forms. And Maite, you were saying about how they managed to be both penile and vaginal at oh, the yeah, same time. Oh, yeah, you saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they are. They're both phallic and vaginal at the same time. Which is really an accomplishment, I think. <laughs> Unless you're from It's completion yeah. in itself. <laughs> and, and the interesting, fascinating to me, because I, I don't, I don't, I'm not enough of an 
art historian to know, but with Weston, do we start to enter into the realm of what could be considered to be food porn, where, where <laughs> images of food, and I don't mean porn in a bad way. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean it in the way of where food starts to appeal, the image of food starts to appeal to us in and of itself um, for its own sensualness and how we as humans relate to that in terms of sustenance and sensuality. I, well, I think maybe it does. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I look through a cookbook and, and it's a picture that drives me to make that recipe, you know, and be like, oh, that looks really good. Oh, I want to eat that. I want to make that. Do you think, do, you, do, do any of you think that photographs that... Um, so that we see so much now, that this, this documentation of, of what we eat. Um, do you think that that is losing the sensuality or do you think it's increasing it? I think the ones that are so immediate, like the ones in the, in the New York Times article, I think that that's more of just a, a quick snapshot and I think it definitely loses. I mean, this, I see this and I think this is so sensual, it's so beautiful and the artist, the photographer is looking, at, it's so formal. Um, and the color and the, and the shadows and everything is really well planned and thought out and it's really bringing out the form of what we're looking at and the shapes of what we're looking at. I mean, it's as beautiful as one of his nudes. And this, these peas do the same thing. Those are beautiful Yeah, they're really peas. beautiful yeah. peas. I, th I think there's something to the minimalism mm -hmm. of these Westons and also the Quigley that is up there now because you're really focused on the essential object. And with the photographs that the bloggers are taking, there are some that are great, but for the most part, I don't think of them as food photographs. I think of them as photographs of food. And in my mind, those are two different categories. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. the brilliance of the Western and the Egos is that it, you go beyond it, it becomes a symbol, it becomes a metaphor. It generates a larger conversation than just, these are pictures of bananas. Here's, here's a photograph of six peas, mm -hmm. which I think just the snapshots of what is appearing on blogs and stuff don't do. This is what I ate today. This isn't, it isn't symbolic, it isn't metaphorical. We're not having a larger conversation beyond this point. Or are we? And Let's I guess just, <laughs> maybe we yeah, are. Just to be a little snarky, <laughs> and forgive me all you bloggers out there, but there's something essentially narcissistic about many blogs, and I think that kind of... Uh, really? Yes. <laughs> that kind of documentation of uh, in, instead of, I don't know how you feel at your restaurant, but instead of going in and experiencing the meal, if you have to take the photograph of what I ate so that it can be posted, to me that is a remove. It's a distancing from the food rather than an engagement with it. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I was, um, one of the, the people I follow on Twitter is Grant Ockett's who's the chef of Alinea in Chicago, who does very super considered multi-course tasting meals. And he's considering actually putting in a series of rules in the restaurant because the food photography has become an impediment to people enjoying the meal. Wow. That being said, this is another really incredible image. This is Man Ray. Um, it's a ray, he called them rayographs. And he made these in response to an electric company? Yeah, it mm -hmm. was made for an electric company ad. 
So it's sort of like... Um, to sell stoves, I think? To sell yeah. stoves, yeah. yeah. To sell electric, electric stoves that were brand new, which is not that long ago, which I find you know, amazing. <laughs> it was less than 100 years ago, and these were brand new. And they, hi- they took the bold step of hiring a surrealist artist to do their campaign. And he did a portfolio of either 10 or 12, I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think only two are food-related. There, there's a beautiful toaster, and then there's this one. So how did he do this, Charlie? How did the, the spiral, the coil, the um, thing which immediately makes me think of a microwave oven? Yeah. He, <laughs> it's, it, the coil is laid down on top of a piece of an exposed photographic paper, and then, and then you turn on the larger... And then the photo is exposed with the image of the chicken and the rice or the duck. I'm not quite sure which chicken. poultry it is. Chicken. chicken. Yeah. Um, onto the image while the, essentially the coil is blocking out the negative space so that you end up with a positive space. Every time I look at it, I think of those, um, those old cartoons of like, we're supposed to be hypnotized. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a little hypnotized by the chicken and the rice. Yeah. I wonder if it actually sold ovens. Because this doesn't make me want to eat a chicken and rice. It, it doesn't look that appetizing, but I'm fascinated by the playfulness of the, of the image. Um, and it just really captures what the surrealists were doing, that dreams-like state and reality. It just, it's, it's fascinating. And he actually um, collected Atget's prints who was, that we just looked at, who was capturing the vanishing Paris. And he was adored by the surrealists because he was capturing kind of these dream-like spaces, which I find kind of fascinating. Because if we, if we looked at them side to side, they're completely different. Completely different. And, and one wonders, you know, at a time when we think about our technology changing so fast, so rapidly, and we must adapt, what it must have been like for people who have been cooking on wood stoves forever since time immemorial, all of a sudden they're being told to stick their food in a box with no soot and turn a <laughs> dial. And look what happens to the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. I mean, it. It's not plump and juicy. It, it looks kind of lacquered and uh, overcooked. Overcooked. <laughs> okay, now this is just fabulous image. Um, Ouija was a very, very interesting fellow. Would you like to speak? Who would like to speak to Ouija? Maite? Oh, me? Um, gosh, Ouija. Uh, this, this, this is, I think this is the only photograph in the show that actually has a person, a whole person. We see glimpses of people in, in some of the others. Um, so it's just very menacing. Ouija took pictures of crime scenes, and he walked around the streets of New York City from, what is it, dusk to dawn. And, um, and this is, I don't know how many food shots he did, but this is one that he took of a... Of a Bagel man. Max and he's, the bagel Max man. Max the bagel man. He looks so menacing. He looks so happy but menacing. And he's dressed so formally above his apron. He um, has a tie. A really, if you, if you go look at the image in the gallery, you can get really close and you can see how beautiful this silk mm-hmm. tie is and how happy he was to be delivering these bagels. And yet in Ouija's lens. Yes, there's something about his genuine joviality or jovialness, whatever the proper word is, that it's creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would really like bagel. to taste one of those bagels. They're probably very fresh. I wonder how yeah. hard they were. <laughs> okay, now now we're into really well, fun territory. Maiti, you just said that um, the 
the um, Ouija was the only one that actually had a person in it. I look at this Eggleston portrait of a freezer, and I feel like the family is there. I'm imagining the family. Maybe we're not seeing human figures, but I feel as though this is a portrait of who they are based on what we find in their freezer. And for That's me, I look point. at this and I think, first of all, I, I recognize that this was a freezer I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> Although there You're would home. have been a much bigger thing of ice cream in there. <laughs> and, and I know in the background my mother would have been yelling at me saying, I told you to defrost the freezer. Um, <laughs> but then I think of all the people in the world who wouldn't recognize this as food, even now. Yeah. And... Um, and I find that disturbing. But I find, it, it, this is 1971, it's fascinating to me. I wish I knew what was in his mind when he opened that freezer and took the picture. This need to document. Dara, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you find, you look at so many images in the course of your work, do you find um, global contexts for certain kinds of images? Are certain images um, linked to where they are in the world? Or do you find that the playing of food and image to be sort of universal in the way it's treated? I'm glad you didn't ask me whether I eat artificially flavored vanilla ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the answer to that is both, because there are some photographs that are very ethnographic. And there are others that uh, I think of uh, Jin Yoon Young, who's a Korean photographer whose work is really beautiful. Um, I love Charlie's work, and I also love Jin Yoon's, because what she does is go to the markets after they've closed, and she finds the uh, entrails of fish. And she takes uh, the, the fish bones, the spines and the... Uh, rib, do fish have ribs? <laughs> you call them bones. ribs? The bones. But the bones. Um, and, and all of the slimy stuff that in, certainly in American culture, it is very much the ick factor, and these things are thrown away, but beautiful uh, sacks for milk, also for eggs, and she photographs those up close, and um, they're chromogenic, and they're just gorgeous. And that's universal. You know, fish live all over the world, and that's something that we can all either respond to or feel um, a, a sense of disgust. But uh, if you think about a global context, so for some reason what came to mind, I guess because I was thinking about entrails, and I started thinking about grubs. And there are beautiful <laughs> ethnographic photographs, documentary ones, the kinds of things you would see in National Geographic showing people um, in context who eat grubs, which are a wonderful source of protein. But then I think of Cindy Sherman's series on disgust, and you have a plate at the end of a meal, and you look, very, uh, you look at it and you think it's leftover sausages on the plate, and what it turns out to be is worms. And you feel, oh my God, this is disgusting. So it's both universal, but it also is uh, in uh, a very specific context. Okay, this is, now, now this we get to um, comfort. <laughs> <laughs> comfort and order. I think the Ouija was instant gratification. Yeah. <laughs> this is about like something we know and understand. 
Well, something we know and understand, but I mean, immediately a lot of us started looking at the cookbooks and which ones did we, <laughs> which ones did we grow up with? You know, I have this one, this one, this one. Um, the Escort Party book. That was my coming of age. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder how many of us have pantries that actually look that good. Not me. <laughs> and yet it's fascinating. To me, this is almost like a peeping Tom kind of experience. And I find that kind of food photography, I find it very gratifying, which might be saying a little too much about myself. But um, I didn't grow up in a big family. Um, and, and to me, the act of going over to someone's house, and I think maybe this is why I still love to cater, because you, you know how some people go into people's bathrooms and they immediately open up the medicine chest <laughs> and you look and see what people have. Well, when I cater, I get to go into people's kitchens and you get to you know, open every single cupboard so you know where everything is. Um, <laughs> Even though you brought your own equipment already. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I, it, it's that... It's that kind of thing where you want to look at what people have and how they organize it and, and what does that say about them. Yeah, I think that this one and the Eggleston really do the same thing. What kind of person is going to eat everything artificially flavored? Or, or I, Yeah, I think it just gives us a glimpse. And I think, Dara, what you said was, was right. It gives us more of a sense of, of the person. And actually, it was Eggleston's freezer, that was his own that was freezer? That was his own freezer. Oh, I'm so sorry I to know. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, wasn't even commentary. It's his own. It's, it's yeah. Eggleston's version of his, his blog of his what blog. he ate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now this is something that when we all went into the gallery and looked at it, we're like, oh my gosh, this is so forbidding. There are so many rules. And Maite said it's the opposite of the Atget because mm -hmm. that where you could just walk up to the vegetables, those beautiful leeks, and pick something up. Here, how can you even navigate it with all these signs? This is where Eggleston shops. <laughs> yeah, right. no, I don't think you should dump on Eggleston. <laughs> I know. I love his I work. Think, I yeah, love yeah. No, I know. But I, I don't think we can impose our um, 21st century values on a 1970s refrigerator <laughs> or freezer. That's true, That's although true. I just got That's rid true. of mine. Um, <laughs> Um, so what struck me here is uh, the whole idea behind marketing in supermarkets now is to have the produce up front, uh, to have the enticing things right there. And here you're obviously just walking into the supermarket and the first thing you see is a sign that says stop. Even if you're supposed to stop and look more closely and pay attention, you're just, uh, you're shut out, you see the word violator, you see the word uh, shoplifting and hold up. That's totally scary. I'm not Prosecuted. sure. I, yeah. Um, and then also the very prescriptive, use a basket. It's not please take a basket to make your shopping experience more pleasant. Use that basket. Do we know anything about Leonard Fried? I know nothing about Leonard Fried. Neither do I. Interesting image. And now here we're, we're at this, I love this series because this is not a blogger. This is 1995 Martin Parr, who apparently uh, was British and, and decided to do this series because he was tired of people talking about how horrible British food was. <laughs> <laughs> now why is that eliciting a laugh? <laughs> but yeah. what I think is so funny is in documenting it, 
he sort of proves what everybody <laughs> is saying. Well, yes and no. I really love Martin Parr's work. And uh, there are several albums published where the photographs are on their own pages. I mean, there are some that are uh, pastiches like this, but they also are much larger. And to me, it's really, uh, yes, it is food, but it's also a social documentary. And it's very much focused on a, a certain class of British vacationer. And uh, I think it tells us a lot about um, not so much the food that they're eating, but what they are drawn to, what provides comfort, what is seen as the ultimate, uh, particularly when they go on vacation. Um, I love that, because I would never have known that. Yeah. There's, uh, wait, where is it? You can see uh, in the lower right-hand corner here, a Sunday. There's a very oh. beautiful one um, showing, and this is the way in which he's a tremendously interesting photographer, because it shows the um, body of a woman from here down, or I, maybe, no, some of her face is there, but it's been truncated. You see her, she's large, she's in a floral print dress. There's a huge Sunday in front of her. Uh, she's just been uh, gambling because there's something on the table that um, it's cards or something. I'm not remembering it perfectly. But um, it's a way in which the person has been dehumanized because he's not showing her in her entirety. So he's someone to look at some more. Wow. Hmm. Really? Hmm. That was very disturbing. <laughs> oh. I like disturbing. No, and that, I, this is one of the things that I find interesting about having a conversation about food photography, particularly now, because these artful images don't add the period to the end of the conversation. It makes you want to have a conversation about food. And blogs are an interminable conversation about food. Now, all of us here would like to own this painting. So if any of you out there would like to gift us <laughs> or, uh, this photograph. Um, and if there's only one, we'll take turn babysitting it. <laughs> um, you really have to go into the gallery and look at this image. It's something really incredible. Um, Maite, do you want to? Oh gosh, there's so many things to say about this about this photograph. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's was taken at at, at um, it's 48 hours of, at the JFK airport in New York City, and everything that was confiscated in that 48 hour period. So this is not things that were in a car going across the border. This is things that were packed in suitcases. Which is, I mean, there's a he pig head. I mean, there's just plants. I mean, trees, just everything, yeah. trees, and I mean, all of those individual objects tell a story. And like you said, this food can go on forever. So every single food somebody was bringing over, and I wonder if they were trying to bring a little bit of home back. So there's that whole element to it, and it was confiscated. And, and the photograph itself is Taryn Simon spent hours in the contraband room arranging all of these foods that were confiscated to create a still life. Um, to basically, it, it's a global still life. It's so it's staged. Amazing. It's completely staged. It's staged. But you know, it reminds me of an altar in um, Latino cu culture, something about the 
beautiful excess of it uh -huh. and almost paying homage to all of it. But then I wonder yeah. about like the mentality, like the psychology behind it. Like, I am moving to America. I am going to pack a pig head with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you I never am know. coming Maybe home they from vacation. And this, <laughs> this pig head was so delicious that I have to take it home with me. Well, I mean, like what? It's like a cautionary tale. If you try and smuggle in lardo or prosciutto from Italy, this is where it can end up. <laughs> <laughs> Just eat it on the plane. <laughs> There so the, the African cane rats infested with maggots would, it, it's, it's a fascinating picture. And actually when you, when you see it in the gallery, you can see the, um, it, it, the sink. There's a, um, whoop, there, like a little plumbing fixture. So it also has, and, and the walls are subway, white subway tile. So it also has this sort of... Um, operating room. Operating <laughs> room. <laughs> kind of thing happening at the same time. You know, it's wonderful to see, I think, to see these kind of really considered food images because it puts into perspective, this is just an amazing, amazing work. Um, would somebody like to take a shot at describing what happened here? Um, so if I remember the process correctly, and I'm not 100% sure on this, it's it's photo it's photosensitive paper right and then it's a positive negative so it starts they start this at the beginning of the meal so the paper was laid down on the table and then everything's put on top of it so all the objects are actually on the table are your negative spots and and they expose the paper and this was a dinner party this was a real dinner party yes and and the print size is rather large i would say what maybe like 7 feet by 6 feet something like that a, a table for Ten or twelve. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a large piece, and then so they start at the beginning of the meal, and then the paper is exposed again at the end of the meal. So you get these ghostly effects of objects that are no longer there, but you can see them. Yes, and of handprints, of you know bottle stains and everything. It's it's a performance art piece in itself, or or an image of a performance art piece in itself of of this process of this dinner that was had, but also, also in itself technically a photograph of, of a meal enjoyed. Yeah, beautiful. It's, it's really quite beautiful. And the way it's displayed in the gallery is really wonderful. And it's so fun, too. I mean, it's, it's just because they did it in a room that was in a, basically in a dark room with just the photo light. So they were essentially eating in the dark. And it's like the, the rayograph, but it's in reverse, in reverse. Yeah. so that the white now, it looks like the white tablecloth, and you can see all of the food. I mean, they were eating spaghetti, and they were eating grapes. And how and much eggs. fun would, th would this be? And so the thing, fun. The thing so I really love fun. about it is that, I mean, how many times have we had a dinner party, and at the end, you, you stand away from the table, and you assess the damage of, <laughs> oh, my God, we have to clean this. Yeah. But at the same time, you just had great memories with great friends with great food. And I love that idea of assessing the damage. And Maite asked that this be included, which I thought was genius, this image. I love this image. And when I saw that dinner party, it just completely reminded me of this. This is a floor. And the way, this, if you haven't seen the show, the, the dinner party is actually displayed like a table. And this is a, a section of a floor, of a mosaic floor um, that's almost 2,000 years old. And this is Roman, from ancient Rome. This is what they would display. This is how they would decorate their dining room floors, with food scraps. 
So it's essentially, it's a similar thing, you know, the dinner party 2,000 years later, and the blogs today, we're, we're capturing what we're looking at, what we're eating, and I like to, it's almost like I was here and this is what I ate. And we're just fascinated by what, you know, what people ate then, what people are eating now, and people are fascinated with, with what they're eating, with all of the blogs, but here, I mean, all of these things are so familiar. There's a fish head, there's a lemon peel, there's a melon rind, there's some dates, some shrimp. So you could essentially, you could see the dinner party after it's been, after it's, it's the damage, but it's on the floor now, and it's permanent. I, I like it because, to me, I think, as a restaurateur, I think they decorated the floor this way so when people are really messy when they eat and they throw everything on the floor, they won't feel like they're violating something pristine. It's sort of like they're encouraged to just abandon themselves to the, um, the seduction yeah. of the moment. And there is something so decadent about this in the room. They were, they, were they were. They were laying down and they were throwing their foods. And yeah, it was just blending into everything else. It's almost like an invitation to have a good time yeah. to, to not needing to be so proper. Here's a salad fork. Here's a dinner fork. Here's... So right. Dara, do you think this refracted way of looking at food and looking at the way we as humans interact with food is going to be lost by the absolute directness that we're obsessed with now by taking, documenting what we eat so, so obsessively? I don't think it'll be lost because there are enough people who are uh, thinking more deeply about food and trying to capture it in ways that um, are not quite so direct and, and quite so instantaneous. And so they're using food as a way to enter into an understanding of culture, an understanding of society, an understanding of self and the body, which I think is one of the big obsessions in food photography now. Um, one photographer whose work I really love is Marilyn Minter. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a lot of uh, lips <laughs> and uh, almost ingestion of beads and all kinds of things. So it straddles the line between food and not food, but it has to do with orality. So I, I don't think that it will be lost. It's just we're in an a excited phase where it's possible to take these documentary photographs in an instant, but I think it's going to move on. Do you still work in film? I do. All Walk the Dog is still shot on film, um, which makes custom <laughs> interesting <laughs> and airport security uh, precarious. Um, but I think to the whole to your question of food blogging and and the thing that really struck me in that New York Times article was that I almost feel like it's a way of people reaching out and still looking for connectivity because I feel like one of the major component of food is that, first of all, it is a cross-cultural board. Everybody eats, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what religion you are. Everybody eats. It's a point of connection. And it's a point of connection among strangers as well. Amongst? Strangers. Strangers. You know, traveling foreign lands, and, and you have a conversation over the arepa that you're having in Colombia, middle of the night, with a bunch of other Colombians. Um, and I feel like the food blogging is almost a way of people reaching out and wanting to connect with their friends. 
because particularly in the New York Times article, it was about how then their friends would come and be like, oh yeah, I had that, or, or how was it, or it's a way for them to... Have a conversation yeah, when they're not sitting at the table together. And I think that's, that's true really once the photographs have been posted on the blogs. But I think what I react to, and it sounds like what you react to. No, not really. You don't. Okay, so <laughs> Grant <laughs> reacts to is um, the act of photographing when you're at the table with your companion or maybe you're there alone uh, with your food and you're still taking a photograph of it. Mm -hmm. I know I'm um, not a, a modern dinosaur. person, I'm a dinosaur. No, no, but no. So I totally agree with you that it is a, a global table that you're setting once you put these photographs up. But uh, when you're there with your food, I still believe in that kind of sacred, it's a, a sacred communion with it. Absolutely. When you engage with it um, and you don't document it first. I don't know, for me, I feel like, um, I mean, well, just to put it into context, um, for people who didn't read the New York Times article and may not be as aware of this phenomenon, but um, on Flickr now, there's over six million images which have been tagged as food, um, which has happened in how many years? Two years? And in the What I Ate group, which is one group of photographs, there's over th 300,000 images. And I find it just fascinating because we're at a point where um, we're having to really deal with where we are as a society and how our food is grown and the whole political context of food in today's world. And, and part of me just hopes that this, this intense personal investigation of food takes the next leads to a bigger conversation. So real briefly, Walk the Dog is an ongoing series of um, images from marketplaces around the world, not slaughterhouses, as, um, as I want it to be marketplaces, pe where, where people are allowed to go, whereas I think of slaughterhouses as you need permission and, and they're sensitive to what you take or what you document, and et cetera, et cetera. This is about accessibility. This is about the everyday. Um, where is this? This particular picture is in a, in a town called Sun Hill in Colombia. Um, this is rather new. This is from last year. And What's hanging there? I don't know, and I feel like it has six legs. <laughs> <laughs> and I've looked at that picture over and over and over again, and I can't figure out what it is and what is giving the illusion of six legs. Broken bones. Uh, I, I do not know. Uh, this is Messiah in Nicaragua. Giant piles of cabbage. Amazing cabbage. Uh, Guangzhou in China. Now, I would just want to talk about the personal for a second because the very first time I had a conversation with Charlie, she talked about... Um, some experiences she had as a child being in the marketplace with her, with your mother. Yes. Um, I was raised in Taiwan, Taipei, where, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, where you shopped those markets like this. Local markets, fresh food, fresh produce, small business. So it's all relationship-based. You bought from 
butcher A instead of butcher B because you know them. You bought from fruit person C instead of fruit person D because I guess they gave you a better deal. Um, and to me, there's a sense of personal responsibility that is related to that, that we no longer have in the context of supermarkets and Whole Foods. Um, so when I was three feet tall, going to the market with my mom, dark, smelly, wet, full of screaming things and things dying, I was afraid of getting lost. And I convinced myself that if I got lost, the butcher was going to take me, he was going to put me in a cage, and he was going to sell me. Terrifying. And I think of this little guy sitting on top of all those chattering ladies. Uh, this is uh, Medellin, Colombia. And this particular picture is interesting to me because in this market, there was the full amenity of modernity. In the foreground is refrigerated cases, refrigerated cases full of meats of various cuts. But then one section back, you have carcasses, in this particular case, cow heads hanging from hooks. And then right behind that, you have full-size walk-in meat lockers, and half of them, I would say, at least are in glass. So you have technology, you have refrigeration, but what is being sold and what is being on offer is in full display. They honor the animal, and they honor the life that is without hiding it. And that's kind of incredible to me. This is... Sehanukville in Cambodia. This is China, and the name of the town is escaping me at the moment. And that is a dog. Uh, Guangzhou, China, they're dry-pressed ducks. Leon, Nicaragua. It's like someone just got up. It is. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, Skizi, Tokyo, Japan. And this is Manizales, Colombia. That's, that's a pig and down the center section. And after 53 cities is the first time I've seen an entire pig dissected and butchered at a market. I've seen half of one, I've seen parts of one, but the first time I've seen an entire carcass. Hi, this is actually not a question, it was more of a response to the Eggleston. Um, so it, Although we sort of laughed that it seemed sort of an impersonal vision into his fridge, into his freezer, because you could see all of the packaged food, and we're so used to seeing fresh food now, 30 years later. Um, I had just had a very, very strong reaction to it, because I lived in um, New Orleans during the hurricane. And so after the hurricane, when we went back, it was like five weeks after the hurricane, and everyone had to take photos of everything that, that had gone away. And the first photos that we, would, we rushed to, to take photos of was our fridge because we had heard all these terrible stories about the stuff that, had been, that people had been finding in their fridges. And I think we saw some of the photos after of the fridges all wrapped up after everybody had sort of discovered what was in it. And just the, the contrast between his photo and all of this prepared food and still sitting in there uneaten and then the photos that we saw after the storm and, and, and pretty much after every disaster of food and the decay and the, the representation of decay. It's just amazing the kind of reaction you get, the, the whole spectrum of things that you can see in something that seems so banal as a refrigerator. Thank you.
You talked a little bit about people blogging, and I happen to be, I don't blog, but I do take pictures of my food. <laughs> and mostly for my memory. It's so like, it's like taking wine notes or something, you know? Um, but I was hoping you might touch upon the topic of food styling and maybe food stylists a little bit, if we could hear more. Food styling. Oh, so. Yeah. Food styling. Yeah, you talked yeah, yeah. that a little bit. Um, <laughs> Well, it's really interesting because it, uh, and there's going to be a wonderful article coming out in the August issue of Gastronomica on uh, a decade of food styling by um, Francine Matalan-Denis, who has worked for Gourmet and Bon Appetit and all of these, and, and just ta uh, she's actually tying the food styling in with political eras. So it's, um, and our aspirations and what we need to see in photographs. But there um, has been a lot of talk about uh, well, what you were talking about, that your first introduction to food photography being the perfect strawberry with the uh, drop of dew on it so that you know that it's absolutely fresh. And in the food styling industry and uh, food photography commercial, it is considered the hero shot. You know, you zoom in, you finally get it just right. I did, um, in 19, late 80s, I think it was, I can't remember, Bon Appetit came out to my house in Williamstown, Massachusetts in August. It was a humid New England summer, but they wanted to do a Thanksgiving shot because, of course, they had to. So I was dressed in you know, very heavy clothes. This was in the era before you tried to do things naturally. And I, the conceit was that I had all of the international students at Williams over to my house because they had no place to go during Thanksgiving. <laughs> it wasn't true. But um, <laughs> they had a 30-pound turkey that they cooked only for about an hour so that it was still plump, not like the Man Ray <laughs> chicken that was all wizened. They had varnish that they painted on it. They had air that they pumped into it. There were all of these tricks of the trade. That has changed now, and the idea really is to get a natural shot. But now, um, and this might be part of the effect of the directness you're talking about with the blogging and taking the photographs, it's the close-up. It's, it's uh, the, you know, the, it, I dare I say it's the money shot. So you get really up and, and close with the food instead of it being uh, propped as much as it was in the past. So it's something that evolves with uh, different eras, and I think it reflects uh, certain uh, societal anxieties as oh, well. That's interesting. One, oh, I, just want, I just want to make a reference to the, to the, again, to the New York Times article. One of the bloggers' diet has become much more adventurous as she seeks out photogenic foods. So <laughs> I find that... So yeah. I find that so funny. Just but is, what is, oh, sorry. No, go oh, ahead. Isn't part of the conversation about constructed images of food of what we should be consuming that's being perpetuated versus to what we actually are consuming? Isn't that the two end of the spectrum? Well, I feel like that's definitely two ends of the spectrum of a conversation that's starting to go on in the country. I mean, I feel like the photographer Christopher Hersheimer, who was one of the founders of Savour and who created this style of using natural light and photographing food um, 
I don't want to say that her food is unstyled because I can't imagine it's all unstyled, but it it it, it doesn't feel styled. It looks it looks artless. It looks Yeah, we spent hours achieving that look. Yes, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But what's interesting wow. is if you look at her new the Canal House books that she's doing, which she's self-publishing, they're much grittier. You 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 when you see a pot come out of the oven. Um, a cruseware pot where stuff gets baked on the outside. It's left on the outside, and you see it, and it, and it, it isn't perfect. And and even the pu the publication of it, the way it's printed, um, it isn't to achieve a level of perfection that's no longer real. So I think the whole um, this impulse of photographing for blogs is a really wonderful thing in a way um, because it. It's a level of reality that's constantly intruding on our conversation with ourselves on what we're eating. Hi, I just uh, have a question and a bit of a comment about, uh, I don't know, watching, looking at all the photographs and you pointing out the fact that they're the only kind of human representation was the guy with the bagels, and he was a little creepy. Um, it brought up the question to me, uh, is food food? if it's not going to be eaten. And uh, I felt like the stuff that we were seeing in a lot of these, uh, I, there was a part of, and the blogs in particular, they don't feel like food. They, they looked like pictures of stuff because there seems to be kind of a, an innate absence of the human component to that. And I come from a, from a big family of African-American people um, <laughs> from the South. Um, and my parents actually were both chefs, or as my mother would say, I'm a cook, your dad is a chef. Um, and so they were, we grew up with dueling chefs, so there was food around all the time, but the food was there and there was always the understood connection that it was there because we were gonna eat it. And there were people who came to our house because they knew we had the good food. So that the one image, the, the, the really large image where if you go into the gallery you'll see is the table where, um, where the, the food and the people's hands and everything actually were developed on the, that yes. didn't, that didn't see, seem to you that, like something that was the closest to me. That felt like, even though it was difficult to make out the actual food, the presence of the folks made it more, feel more like food to me. Is it food photography if there are people in it? I We're all hesitating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting question. Yeah. I think once you introduce um, commensality, so you're showing people at the table, then I think probably because we're human and not vegetables, we're looking at the people first and only secondarily at the food. And so this exhibition is, it's called In Focus. It's called In Focus? What? Yes, okay. Um, and the focus is on the food, the object. I think that what you've said is really interesting and I want to think about it some more. But um, to me, it's the nature of what this exhibition is trying to do. And but, you should yeah. go look at the photographs because they're not creepy. 
<laughs> because then, you, then when you're actually looking at the photograph, the level of it as art, because you're looking at this beautifully created object, it, it, it changes a bit. And yet people and, constantly take pictures of the food. <laughs> and can we, can we make an argument that perhaps food is not food unless it is during the act of consumption itself? That it's not, that it's not food unless you're eating it? And so everything is about before or after. I see more actors <laughs> say that food is not food unless it invites that. There was something that was inviting about a couple of the photographs that made me think, oh, I would like to eat that. But a great number of the photographs of the bloggers, you know, oh, I went to the French Laundry and I got all these, look at what I ate. I don't feel like I want to eat that stuff. Well, maybe it's just because the, the picture isn't that good, or you know, it doesn't have that little bit of do Because we haven't styled it yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of the works in this particular show are there to make us think of something else. I mean, looking at the Taryn Simon contraband, I don't want to eat anything there, but, and it's all food, and, it, and it's just talking about so many, so many things. So it's not like a picture that you might see in Savoir magazine that's really beautiful, but it's, it's inviting a different dialogue about food. That it's, the images are uh, open for conversation. Right. And what? it goes back... Oh. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> it goes back to what you said, that it's, it is a converse. Food invites conversation. It's familiar. It's that... It's like way breaking in. bread. It's the way know? in. It's the way in, exactly. One of... Oh, I just want to... One tiny postscript to that is one of the things that Sever pioneered was to have the bowl of spaghetti or the plate of whatever food it was and to show the hands. So you weren't just showing the food, the finished dish, but you had that human element even if you didn't have the individual. Yes. I think it's so interesting because what we're talking about is really a cross-pollination of what we eat and the visual the visual, we're talking about art and food. And sometimes they merge, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just art, and sometimes it's just food. And I mean, I think sometimes we're looking into it too deeply. I mean, <laughs> Wait, this we're in focus here. Yeah. We're in focus. Yeah. <laughs> what? Where's the focus? No, I said we're, we're in, in focus. focus. We're looking deeply. Well, but if you're looking at a piece of art that that happens to be at the Getty, it becomes. Excuse me. If you're looking at food that happens to be at the Getty, it becomes a piece of art. If you're looking at food at your restaurant on the table, it may look great, but you want to eat it. But no. it's also art, I would yes, say. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, yes, no, yeah. it's not art. But not all <laughs> I don't want it. That's not who right, I want right, to be. Right, right, You don't want all food to be art, and you don't want all art, of course, to be food. But I want to just show you something. This is a photograph. And this is a photograph of a fish stew. And one of the great stylists of all times, a man named Norman Stewart, helped me take this photograph for my book, I'm self-promoting. But you know how we made the muscles stand up? Kids, Crisco. He says, put Crisco in the bottom so we can make it a beautiful picture. So here we are, 
Somebody, we don't want to eat it. We don't want to eat it. But it looks gorgeous. But talking about Crisco, someone was overheard in the gallery looking at the photograph of the pantry in which there was a prominently displayed can of Crisco. In the gallery, someone was overheard saying, what is that? What is Crisco? (laughs) Only in Southern California, we know what it is in the Berkshires. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, I just, I I just fascinating. But Kevin, isn't it sold? Can't you get Crisco and Ralph's? Yeah, yeah, but some a person here, an actual human, who, who went who went to the gallery. I just think that's to me the beauty of this show and the images is these images aren't static hanging, so nobody interacts with them. A, a human took them because they were they were interacting with food on a certain level, so that we would look at them and interact with this image. In, in a certain way, and have this big conversation, which is so nice. It is food for thought, exactly. Oh, thanks. Uh, <clears throat> just one more gallery note, by the way, before I say something. Uh, overhearing two young children looking at the Martin Parr pictures, and both of them going, Yum, yuck, yum, yum, yuck, yuck, <laughs> yum, yum. <laughs> And I thought, I thought this is this explains everything about what you're saying because they because they wouldn't have been doing that with another kind of set of photographs, which means that there is a the the nature of this is the confusion between art and food. It's the it it's sort of yeah it no 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 but it but also conf, conflation confusion I mean. You know, there's the artifice of food itself, and then there's the artifice of the photography on top of that. So you've got everything going on, and 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 yum, and the, yum, individual, the direct and the individual human mind and yes. brain and the mouth, which everybody's mouth is different. Yes, and he's thinking about you know, food, not photography. <laughs> anyway, my, my question was actually, I wondered if 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 any any of you um, think that the the recent ubiquity of food photography because of all the blogging and the posting and the social media, uh, Flickr, everything. Uh, if you think that the ubiquity of that has actually affected either restaurants or you know, uh, uh, markets in the way that they physically appear to, to, to customers and People, in other words, if if the photography itself being potentially everywhere affects the way restaurants present their food, affects the not way as much as Yelp does. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing they'll be photographed. No, I mean not for me. I mean, you know, it, no, I don't think so. I think that that. Those of us who, who make a living preparing food, I mean, it's a point of view. We have a point of view. We put our point of view out there, whether it's to create high art or just to create a, a good meal that people can have conversation over. And if someone chooses to photograph it, great. I mean, as long as you don't bug the people next to you. And uh, the thing I'm constantly saying is, eat it while it's hot. <laughs> I mean, when I think about Grant Ockett's going through what he goes through to create the plates he does. And it's 
present it to someone, and then they take five to ten minutes setting up a shot in his restaurant, I would kick them out. I mean, you know, they're not eating, they're not experiencing what he's giving them. That, that's sad, I think. On the other hand, on the other hand, I love Flickr, and I love looking at those photographs because I think they reveal a lot about people and they make me think. It, it's, it's food for thought. And yeah. I get reminded about food I haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> well, oh yeah, I need to eat that soon. We don't have any food, but we have something to drink outside, Great. so another round of applause for the panel. <laughs>